All right, folks. Welcome back to the 20th episode of Black Hoodie Alchemy. Um, we're, we're in the trenches now. It's not just the beginning. It's interesting. Uh, and I got my buddy Joe Root back. <coughs> Smoking a little bit of a joint here. Um, we're going to talk about Hermeticism in the 21st century. Everyone knows about the Abrahamic religions. Everyone is at least familiar with the basic concepts of Buddhism. Uh, you know, um, but there's very little exposure to Hermeticism unless you really want it. And um, Hermeticism to me is something akin to Buddhism in the sense that I think it's misrepresented as a religion. I think it's more of a philosophy. What would you say to that, my buddy Joe Roop? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me back. And I would definitely say that it's a philosophy or a way of life, uh, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Um, and for those that don't know, we'll just, um, um, before I forget, Joe is the host of lighting the void here on the fringe FM. He is also the godfather of the fringe FM. So if you don't pay the man, Jess Rogie and I are going to come and bust your kneecaps. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. <laughs> that was a callback from last episode. Um, no, Joe is a sweetheart. And I actually just met him in person for the first time. What? Like a week ago, something like that. Um, yeah. You were just getting over a little bit of a sickness and I had a family reunion thing. So we, I got to sneak out for like an hour and I got Joe baked as fuck. Um, <laughs> so that was a good time, man. It was, it was really nice seeing you, Joe. Um, I look forward to the yeah. next time. But, it's good um, seeing you too, but you, you obviously had to give me the, the bake and a half. Uh, you know, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> was, I'll tell you, uh, uh, I already told Joe, but I'll tell the listeners. I, um, I had some, so I had some flour. I rolled it up into a joint and I put a little bit of a, just a little string of dab at the tip because I was like, oh, this will be a little like saucy for Joe. It'll be fun. But I forgot. I genuinely didn't think Joe's got such a like zero tolerance that two, <laughs> two hits and he was blasted. <laughs> yeah. My whole body was tingling, dude. And then I fell asleep later. Like as soon as y'all <laughs> left, I had, to, I had to go to sleep. Man. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't screw up your, your day too bad there. It sounds like no, you got a was, good nap at least. <laughs> it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So hermeticism. Um, I don't know if you could speak to this or not, but I've heard people, and this is one of those things that's always floated around in my head, but um, I've never actually remembered to sit down and like articulate it with research. I've, I've heard people draw comparisons between Hermes and the Buddha. Uh, yeah. as, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I, I don't can I, I don't think it would be comparable to Buddhism, but in a way, like I guess I, I don't know. Hermetics is comparable to everything. I mean, if you want to look at it like uh, philosophically or and historically, it was used primarily. It was based on the writings of Hermes Trismegistus, uh, you know. Uh, but there's like this whole Hellenistic period in history, which kind of combines. Uh, you know, the Hermetica or Hermes's teachings with the Egyptian god of Thoth. And then as you keep going through uh, and it gets into the Renaissance, uh, then it's like a mixture of everything, right? Like Zoroastrian, Pythagoras, Plato, the Chaldeans, and then even uh, what used to be considered the Christian Kabbalah. And now it's like the Hermetic Kabbalah, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's kind of a confusing thing because when people go, oh man, when I, when I read about Hermetics, like, What's the the writings? Well, there's the ancient, like the Hermeticum, the writings of that. 
or the Hermetica. And then, you know, there's uh, a mixture of everything else that comes with it afterwards, right? Right. Um, yeah. Because inherently, Hermetics is a bit of the study of, like, the recurring archetypal themes. Um, and so that kind of branches, you know, that, that that can just exponentially branch. Um, I think... Um, I think it's uh it it it's often forgotten today that uh yeah. that and and Christianity sort of piggybacked off of hermeticism in in a great way and you can even see some of the traditional like I believe it was Aquinas among others um or maybe Saint Augustine uh but, you know one of those prominent Christian philosophers if not more than one that um specifically like made a point to say that Hermes was uh it deserved reverence and was sort of like a pre-Christian herald for Jesus. So yeah. I think that that's kind of a silly Christianization of it, but it shows the relevance. It's it, it, it's weird because uh Christians clearly have um have or the the old Christians, the original Christians had a reverence for Hermes. Um, but today, like they would um if you told like any church going Christian that today, they would tell you that you're lying and making it up. It's just another example of how Christianity has uh, fallen so far from its roots that it doesn't even know what it is anymore, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, I, th- I think that hermeticism, you know, most of our understanding of spirituality wouldn't be um, what it is today without hermeticism, especially if you consider the archetypal implications. Like, do you think, um, that Buddha would be an archetypal equivalent to Hermes. Cause I don't know. Like I said, I haven't done the full research, but this is something that's been tossed around at me before. Yeah. Well, people have tossed around the idea that Jesus Hermes and Jesus and Buddha. Right. Um, we're all kind of like the same, uh, same, I guess you could say incarnation of the same kind of changing, like archetypal spirit that comes in and revolutionizes spirituality. And we've, uh, you know, Krishna as well, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've had, uh, that, I mean, that's a good theory, at, but I, this is kind of why I like the Kabbalah as it stands or the hermetic Kabbalah, because you can put all of those God forms in a section of that consciously, which is like Tifereth or the solar kind of, uh, energy, so to speak, right. The balance right. between man and God, which is the, the sun, you know, so to speak. Right. So, like that's pretty cool to look at it that way and but i think it's more theoretical right B- mm-hmm. but i mean we're in a time when all of that needs to be theoretical anyways and i think that we need to like look at stuff do our history and then experiment with things practically and this is why i like hermeticism because for all of its you know i guess you could say all of its intricacies and complications through experimentation it works in my life it's worked in my life and it works if it's tested you know absolutely mine as well um and i would say that if anyone is looking for a boilerplate definition any any boilerplate definition is going to leave out essential details um because that's just kind of the nature of the beast but if um i you know hermes was attributed to a few different things uh the the two biggest being astrology and alchemy and, and, and on, on top of just 
uh, the idea, the biggest archetype of him being the messenger of like communication and, and whatnot um, in the variety of ways that you can communicate. But uh, um, and alchemy, obviously you probably should have picked up if you've been listening to the show, but it's just the transmutation process and people call it different things, but that is one of the most prevailing recurring archetypes in global ancient history to this day like it's just embedded in the human psyche the idea of taking something that is imperfect and trying to perfect it as much as possible you know if you're if you're um if your brain is in sync with that quote unquote the great work which i feel like is our just contribution to the collective consciousness if you want to break that down into a simple definition like if you're in sync with that at all then you are constantly engaging with alchemical processes whether you realize it or not um and i think the more you realize it just like anything else the more you can start to uh get a grip on it and and work with those things and you know the hermeticist yeah. has the idea it's sort of that solomonic idea uh where you know in the uh the the greater keys of solomon he talks about these uh his ceremonies and rituals being experimentations and yeah. I like the yeah. idea of that. Um, it, it's taking well, then, yeah. a, a scientific approach as a, an, an empirical approach. People think, oh, empirical means five senses. That means, so how could you take an empirical approach to psychology? But it's just the, uh, it's like psychology encapsulates everything. So once you take symbolism into account, there's no question as to whether that's what symbolism is. It's taking the psychology of the five senses and so, I mean, the logic follows and you could still do that empirically. That's what symbolists do. That's what Jung was all about. That's what alchemists do. They take, yeah. they, they take a systemic approach to the spiritual. Yeah. Well, that, that's, you know, this is why it's cool to study the account of Hermes Trismegistus or which means like thrice great. Right. And it's right. because the reason why they call him that is because, um, there's a claim in the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, not the Emerald Tablet of Thoth, you know, but the Emerald Tablet of Hermes, that he knows three parts of the wisdom of the whole universe, right? And so that wisdom is called the Hermetic Trivium or the Triad, which is alchemy, like you said before, astrology and theurgy, which right. we would consider, you know, ceremonial magic. Right. And this is how they believed that this is how you attain a spiritual enlightenment so alchemy being defined as being the operation of the sun it's not just simply changing like lead into gold um but they they're deciding that it works for the puffers right but and there's lots of cool stuff that works for the puffers but it's in order really to quicken this process and to bring a natural body to like our energetic perfection so they call this the transmutoria or the great work, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, and our bodies being the prime materia, which is symbolized by lead, which is like Saturn and Kronos and time. And then it's transmuted into even more like higher forms of energy, which we, you hear about in all the like really woo woo sides of, or new age sides of spirituality, which is called the body of light, which is symbolized by gold or the solar body. So, it's to achieve conscious immortality. The more you study it, the realize it's not really about trying not to die. It's, it's about trying to get your consciousness to a different level so that you don't really die of a second death, you know? Yeah. That's another sort of practical application of vast spiritual 
allegories that I, I love so much, like the idea of a second death. Uh, we're going, it's a very Eastern concept as well. We're going through so many reincarnations just in our own physical body at the moment. Um, it, because we always keep a certain essence of who we are, but who we are is in that on top of that essence, constantly morphing and changing and finding new avenues. And, you know, the train is going to be conducted whether you are the conductor or not. So your best bet is to fight your way through all the carts and make your way to the conductor and make sure that, uh, yeah, you have the reins of the whole thing. So that, that mm -hmm. was like a, a basic tenet of the, the mystery rights is that not everything within your consciousness originates from your own consciousness. And that's crucial to remember. So you have to learn. And that's where the sort of symbolic empiricism comes in. Because um, you do have to like, so I, I talk about sleep paralysis and these things. There are very stark examples of um, symbolism um, incepting shit into our regular lives, essentially. And that being the initial starting point that ripples outward. So how can anyone at that point um, say that symbolism isn't, like a major facet of the human experience, just like the other sure. senses. And it gets deeper and deeper too. Now, if you, under, if you, I'm going to say this on your show, but I've never talked about this before, but if you look into the Western mysteries, they're all based off of three stages, even all the way down to Freemasonry. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's, it's a beautiful Renaissance kind of understanding. If you really get into the research and you start to understand that these three operations astrology alchemy and theurgy is the operations of the sun the moon and the stars okay hmm. so the uh, astrology is obviously the stars right mm -hmm. uh, theurgy is magic or the operation of the moon and uh, alchemy is the operation of the sun right wow. so this is this is cool because you don't really find this out until you really get into like you have to start putting all the like these books together, you know, and Paracelsus was one of the first people to use the operation of the stars with uh, like chemical stuff, you know, and making elixirs and things like that, that actually healed a ton of people. So this is where we get our um, chemistry from, right? Except as time went along, science took out the the operation of the stars and just focused on the chemicals, so to speak. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know, I don't have a list in front of me, but. Um, you can find those lists. Paracelsus had all these alchemical formula and um, um, a great deal of those are common medicines that we use today. So that's yeah. just uh, that's just a great example of the scientific innovation that hermeticism had um, in its varying forms. Um, alchemists were chemists. They were astronomers. Um, they were philosophers. They, um, they were doing all sorts. They were metallurgists, you know. Um, and that's why I think that um, if you're looking for a scientific precursor, um, Hermeticism is probably the starkest historical landmark there. Um, but yeah. uh, so before we go um, deeper down the rabbit hole, it just as a kind of um, um, general um, consideration for anybody else, Joe, that's uh, looking to get into this further, um, where would you say? Can you map out real quick the basic texts? Like you mentioned, there's the, the Book of Thoth and the Book of Hermes. There's also the Kabbalion that, uh, that people like to shit on because it's so new age. And, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say to those people that shit on any new age or books that 
people say that were so-called downloads. If you really study any historical book or scripture, they've all been downloads. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah. Not that I have like a deep attachment to the Kabbalion, but I've always thought that that was uh, honestly just kind of pretentious. Like, um, yeah, I mean, the Bible you, from every kind of like spirit, every single spiritual text has been a download of some kind. Yeah, so. no doubt. Um, so, yeah, if you could break that down, like, because uh, I know it is confusing for people and um, you you could probably even word it better than I could, I think. Yeah, I mean, you can look this stuff up, too, but I would say um, we get into the history. If you study the history of it, it's even more fascinating because there's so many characters and some people are really intelligent and they remember all of the characters names and stuff like that. I really don't. You know, I forget most of the stuff, but I keep the 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 original stuff in me like you know well there's, there's a lot text. out there yeah a whole oh, yeah. lot out there yeah so i mean i would read like the hermetica right or the Liber hermetica or just look into the ast- astrological books and um just even google the definition of hermes trismegistus uh read the corpus hermeticum and it's kind of you got to read it a few times because it's in this kind of weird, like, uh, connotation and language that makes it all romantic and stuff. But that's kind of why I like it. You know, me too. Um, yeah. Start with the Corpus Hermeticum and work your way out. That's what I did. And, and get to know the real Emerald tablet, you know, the secret of creation, right? The real Emerald tablet that, uh, was supposedly written by Hermes Trismegistus, supposedly, it's just one kind of tablet. It's not like the 12 Emerald Tablets of Thoth, even though I'm not here to discredit that. I just don't want people to get like um, those things confused, right? Totally. Um, and then if you really like, if it's if your brain gets really stimulated and you want more and more and more, right, then I would get into the, the alchemy side. I would pick up like, uh, I guess there's like the Libra Hermetica de Alchemia and stuff like that. Yeah, I... I don't recommend just jumping straight into alchemy, but, but understanding like this, the steps of it, the, the seven stages of transmutation, which would be, uh, easily you can look into and just focus on that, you know? Yeah. And a lot of these components, um, without getting bogged down in the technical aspects too much, you know, you talked Mm -hmm. about, uh, seven stages and whatnot. A lot of this is, um, um, based oh what's the best way to put it like stems from philosophy and the and the systems of the kabbalah which is the studies of the trees of life and death yeah um and we've talked about that in other episodes but um it is funny too like you mentioned christianity earlier because once you understand the the trivium well like i said alchemy astrology and theurgy right and then you read revelations in the bible those that that whole story starts to make more sense like the Mm -hmm. visions of enoch where they see the sphinx and the four astrological figures and you know how they talk about the philosopher's stone you get a new name of the white stone quote white stone in the book of revelations right yeah so it's all embedded in there but people just don't want to see it you know and you raise another good point um where i i don't think it's um much of a stretch to assert the fact that um you know, I don't, I couldn't point to historical specificity, but you could see the philosophy and it's kind of grown alongside each other. Um, and hermeticism is so 
um, interwoven with the idea of comparative religion that you find a lot of Gnostic themes in hermeticism mm-hmm. as well. And, and I think that the Bible makes so much more sense if you consider it from a Gnostic hermetic perspective. Um, I'm truly convinced at this point that, um, and I, I, I really hate to be that guy, just I hate to call people out unless they really deserve it. And I really appreciate, you know, my Christian friends and family, but, but Christianity today is just, it's, it's not Christianity. It's something completely different. We should come up with a different term for it. Cause if Christ was real, that's, is not what he was talking about. Um, it's been warped so much, so much like, Oh yeah. The first of all, just the telephone game of the history of the events playing out to it being written is going to be warped tremendously. And then you get generational oration before it's even written down and that's going to warp it even more. And then you get into ancient um, language translations and that's going to warp it even more. Are you kidding me? Like what, what are we even looking at anymore? It's just a Rorschach (laughs) blob. Yeah. Yeah, it is a Rorschach blob. That's a good way to look at it. And it's confusing. Yeah. This is why I love, hermeticism because the in some sense it gives you by the stages of alchemy the secrets of secrets based on all religions of transcendental states right to get to a higher operation now we can take the mystic approach and just meditate and do that but i think for the most part like there's a lot of us that like to do this in stages and to understand the operations of things Uh, you know, I think it just depends on your personality, right? Like I would go crazy probably if all I did was just focus on chakras and meditate, even though that's part of it. Mm -hmm. If I can't start understanding things, I'll start going crazy, you know, but, uh, that's just me. So it, it helps me understand things. Uh, I guess you could say structurally. So Mm -hmm. I would, if you're asking about a book, there's a book that really explains this and it's by Giovanni Pico della Mirandola. Right. And I'll have to give you a link to it, but it's, it's his apology book and it completely talks about all the different kinds of magic. So we have black magic, uh, which is relying upon the alliance with evil spirits and demons. And then there's the theurgy of divine magic, which is relying upon divine angels and, uh, just archangels, gods, etc. And then there's like the hermetic theurgy, which is what I'm super into right now, where you, awaken things inside you by invoking uh the zodiac forces the elements and the planetary forces um and you know you start out using ritual magic and stuff but later on down the road as you get through when you be so called become the magician you don't really have to it's it awakens stuff in you to where you really don't have to do it like uh i guess you could say uh you know, Dungeons and Dragons style, you know, or whatever. Yeah, the goal so. is to get to the point where life is mysticism, where yeah, your life is yeah. constantly unfolding and um, and you're finding these synchronous moments and, and you know, because that's real magic. Like and on a technical level, that's transcendental magic where you know, I've talked to you about this before. I've talked to my buddy, Martin Ferretti and plenty of other people. And there's just, just this feeling where you're, you know, you, you may be analyzing your dreams, having crazy dreams. You're trying to study mythology to try and understand reference points for the things that you're experiencing. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you might be doing meditation too. And then you start having moments in your life where they link up so seamlessly and intuitively, like you find moments that are synchronous and that relate to the mythology. And you realize just all of a sudden you're like, 
my life is mythology. It might not be mythology that everyone is going to read like some of this other stuff, but life in general, it has this symbolic mystical element, you know, that stems, oh, yeah. it stems Thank from the, God. What's Thank that? God it does. Right. Yeah. Like, amen. Thank <laughs> God it does. You know, and all you have to do is a, there's just like, it's a loosening of the slack and getting it into a point where you can, allow yourself to absorb those things. And a part of that is familiarizing yourself with them. There's a bit of study involved, but a lot of it is just intuitively, you know, like this is going to sound, this is probably the corniest I'll sound all episode, but like the magic of following your intuition because intuition in and of itself is very mystical and esoteric. That's, Um, that's getting in touch with the higher forces too. It just, that's, that's what you want to do. Your intuition, according to the hermeticists and the magicians, are directly connected to higher divine beings that are that are guiding you, or let's just say your holy guardian angel or the Holy Spirit. You know? Right, right. So. Um, so this has been a great conversation so far, and I have a feeling Joe and I will probably go past the traditional hour mark. Uh, but we're at the uh, the top of the half hour here, so uh, we're going to go into a quick commercial break. Uh, this is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler here with Joe Root. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller, invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dogman Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dogman Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Listen. As we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard. And they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Welcome back, folks, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm here with the homie Joe Roop, and we're talking about hermeticism. We're in the trenches here, um, the philosophical existential trenches, trying to sift out what traditional hermeticism is. Uh, and Joe, we we're talking about uh, recommended reading for people. Yeah, so there's a lot of reading, and I don't want to confuse people, but if you read these three things and you're enticed, then you should dig deeper right so like the one thing the first thing you should read is is the philosophy of hermeticism itself which is the emerald tablet of hermes trismegistus it's just a short tablet right it, if that that tablet is supposed to like open up a truth inside you by reading it you know and if it does and if you feel it then i would read the corpus hermeticum which is uh, it'll take you on a little adventure but it's mostly widely known as hermetic text but it's the corpus hermeticum 
And that's composed of like 16 smaller books and a dialogue between Hermes and a series of others. So like the first book talk is like Hermes and Pymandres known as the Naus God, you know, and he's in this state of meditation asking questions to, you know, these different gods and stuff like that. Um, so, so Pymandres kind of teaches the secrets of the universe to Hermes. And then the latter books are generally of Hermes teaching others, you know, uh, and then that's, this is where the Greeks got into the four classical elements. And this is why I talk about the elements so much, earth, water, air, fire, and how it's used in alchemy. And, and it's alluded to, it's just talked about so much in the Corpus Hermeticum. And the third would be the more modern download, which people don't really understand. This was a modern download, a 1912, which is the Kabbalion, which talks from the three initiates, which talks about the hermetic principles. So this was a download by, quote, three initiates who probably read and lived their life by all of this stuff and came up with seven solid principles of hermetics, you know. And I think uh, I think that's where I would start, just those three things, right? So uh, the Emerald Tablet, the Corpus Hermeticum, and the Kabbalion. So. All right. Yeah, now you... Uh... You want to be hermeticist out there can uh, can cut your teeth on that literature there. Um, and um, speaking of tradition and, um, you know, also kind of moving into to historical, the more contemporary his historical relevance that uh, hermeticism has had. Uh, Joe, you actually uh, for a period of time were um, a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Yeah, and I always will be, too. Yeah. So like the Yeah. You just throw that out there for sure. I, you can nowadays, right? Because this is the thing, like with people with, that belong to even Freemason or any type of secret society, the only thing that you are told to keep secret is, you know, handshakes and passwords and things like that, right? So mm -hmm. people can identify you if you're a member. It's the same as like a college fraternity or right. things like that, right? Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely was. And there's a whole like stipulation. Well, does the Golden Dawn still actually exist compared to its original order? And they get into the politics. I don't get into that stuff, right? My thing is, is like, if you were initiated by anybody that was involved with these people, there's a lineage to it. And that's good enough for me, you know? Right. So logic follows. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what, without uh, putting your back against the wall on anything, what kind of stuff would uh, you be willing to talk to us about in terms of the history of what you know about the order and what you, um, some of the, like the positive takeaways that you had from your experiences there and why you ended up leaving? Well, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't, well, first off, I never really left. You don't really leave these things. Right. But right. Okay. Uh, but you, in a sense, it's kind of like Freemasonry. Are you actively participating? Or, you know, because once you're initiated, I hate to tell you this, and this might be the only scary part of the situation, but once you become spiritually initiated, you're kind of, you're, you're, it's not like you can go backwards. It's, it's, you're open to it, right? So now right. you know, and you're going to have to go through it regardless. We all go through it regardless. Initiation is just an awareness and an opening to an awareness, right? That's all Makes it sense. is. So, yeah. So when I got into it, I went and thought, I was really interested in magic. I got into a lot of YouTube videos that left me with more questions, but the hermetic principles themselves really opened my mind to a new life. And I told the speech when at contact at the cabin 
that I got into magic, not because, uh, not because I was trying to enhance an already successful life, but because something, nothing else worked for me. Nothing, you know, none of my, like my guidance counselor, what the crap my parents taught me, even basic psychology, everything. I had so many questions still from all this stuff and why I couldn't function as a person. And I always had this like spiritual calling. So I went out and, uh, went to this event, uh, and kind of talked to a few people that I know had some actual lineage back to like Israel Regardi and, you know, Regardi had the lineage to Crowley and then Crowley had a lineage to the original order, you know? And so there's a few modern day, um, uh, orders that still do this. And I would say that David Griffin and Chick Cicero's orders, uh, there are probably the, the closest to that in, uh, the United States. Right. But I met David and Leslie because I just love their energy. They had like this childlike energy. And at first you would think, well, this, this, this isn't like the, they're, they don't act like a bunch of really stuck up college kids using big words. Right. But <laughs> the second you would, you would ask them any question about hermetics, magic, alchemy, uh, astrology, dude, it was a, just a plethora of information. Right. And then like Leslie herself kind of helped me understand what this, uh, what, you know, like LVX or this Luke's energy, the golden Dawn talks about was, and after that I was sold, I was like, sign me up, let's do this because it doesn't matter. Right. Like am I, at this point, I'm like, well, if I go to hell or if I, whatever, right. Like I'm going to find the truth of this. And that was pulling on me more and more. And the truth of it is the golden Dawn is entirely based on hermetics or hermeticisms so to speak right it's all learning everything that we just talked about and it's really not that evil it's based in like this rosicrucian idea of hermetics too you know mm -hmm. so yeah I, I really never left but <clears throat> i realized that just learning the neophyte stuff was so important that it's so massive and big that it i kind of started to slow my role does that make sense Right. Yeah. Everybody wants to like push through the orders. And I've, and I studied all these magicians that just push through these different levels of, uh, you know, the golden dawn, including Crowley, like mm -hmm. very fast. And once they got past like Tifereth and started getting past that Christ consciousness level, and then they want to get to the abyss. And then it's, I started saying like, wow, are we really like meant to go that far? I'm not so sure because these like Parsons and all these other people started getting messed up. But here's the thing. I, I, it did upset me because Crowley, as soon as he became an adept, just left and started like teaching his own thing about the, then the whole mystery. And we can get into this too, about the philosopher's stone, I think got corrupted at that point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's also, cause that's a fast, uh, like a extremely fascinating subject. Let's just uh, dip our toe in the water a little bit. Um, Crowley, Jack Parsons, uh, the founder of Jet Propulsion Labs that uh, snowballed into NASA as we know it now, um, he you know he was involved with the uh, the Golden Dawn, and L. Ron Hubbard was hanging out with the two of them. And as far as I recall, uh, there was like very very few, if any, occasions where Parsons, Hubbard, and Crowley were all like in the same room but they all knew about each other and communicated through letters because they were in different areas. Um, um, but, and I, I remember this is just coming off the top of my head. Uh, so you'd have to, uh, you know, research it for yourself there. Um, 
But I, I, I remember hearing about and reading um, a letter that Crowley wrote to someone talking about how idiotic he thought Parsons and Hubbard were because they were just trying to haphazardly bring um, like an archetypal antichrist baby into the world. They're trying to do, was it the moon child ritual? Yeah. 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 And he was like, these guys are idiots. They don't know what they're doing here. Um, But uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Like there's, there were all sorts of people and this is how you get sort of more dark conspiracy theories surrounding it. Cause these guys were basically just, they were magicians and scientists and wannabe cult leaders that were just banging each other and everybody else and and just doing drugs and like and trying to be innovative in in very forward thinking and also just very like hedonistic ways, I guess. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Well, um, I can tell you like where this so Crowley was very intelligent for sure, but this all goes back to the moon child and all of this stuff goes back to pr- what he learned in the golden dawn, what Crowley learned in the golden dawn mm-hmm. about the opus magnum, right? Which is the first prime of materia, the physical body uh, transmuted into higher consciousness, but the ultimate goal achieving this divine consciousness or philosopher's stone, right? Which is by means of like this powerful elixir, you know, uh, that's what the philosopher's stone is. It's the secret, powerful elixir that when we ingest it, transmutes the physical body and purifies our vibration, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that's still a guarded secret. And you'll find that even today, the uh, hermeticists that run these orders will argue about what this is. So this is an interesting thing that people should dig into. And I, I would say this, no matter who teaches them what this is, you need to make up your own mind about it, right? So yeah. the composition of the Philosopher's Stone is supposed to be secret, um, but they say in the text it's created by purifying mercury into philosophical mercury. And so this mercury, it, it remains concealed by, quote, non-initiates, is transmuted by cooking it with the subtle fires of the body, the physical body, which includes love and sexuality, Okay. That's a part of the fires. There's also like ingesting food and this whole understanding of energy and charge and discharge, right? Mm-hmm. So these were called the techniques of the royal arts. Um, and you'll, um, so when you hear these words, think about that, right? Even when you hear them in Freemasonry and you might think, well, these guys don't even know what the hell this is, but they're still doing these rituals as they go to understand what I, t- and this is why I talk about love all the, t- all the time, right? Because inside of love remains the most powerful secret inside of all of this. And it's the key to the theurgy side, which is the ultimate goal, which is to become united by your higher counterparts leading to the divine consciousness. So when they got into this moon child, theurgy, as I told you, corresponds with the operations of the moon, which is magic. And it was to bring the masculine and feminine. So when you read that together, they have this whole like ritual about bringing the the goddess and the God or the priest and the priestess together to create this moon child, you know, mm-hmm. um, now does that correspond with the teachings of Christ, Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus? Uh, I would think, look into that. Just start seeing all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but to take that and then just relate it to sex and think that, you know, well, if I feel good or I feel love in my heart, it doesn't matter how many concubines I sleep with or whatever, right? All right, well, that's a theory, but let's look at what happened to that person. You say, no, no kidding. Like, 
was there really love in there? You know, and it wasn't the natural kind of love that we know. You see what I mean? Like that's, that's why I talk about this stuff a lot. I'm not trying to push a narrative on anybody. I just want people to carefully like be careful with this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, to treat it with respect and treat it systemically, like empirically, this is a science. Um, yeah. And uh, you need to be measuring, engaging your results and using control methods and um, yeah, like uh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Uh, this uh, it's, it's if you if you're coming into this with some sort of uh, atheist perspective that it's all just uh, LARPing, then you, you're going to experience some Lovecraftian shit eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or that it's just all psychology, which is something I can understand. And then people will tell me this. I had a guest on the other day talking about, well, it is all psychology, right? Because hermeticism is is the idea of uh, all is mind and everything vibrates with this great mind. So whatever caste system, God system, belief, whatever, all goes back to this great mind. And I agree. I always agree with that. I'm like, yeah, it does. But mm -hmm. we don't understand yet what mind actually is. Amen. You know? That is exactly what I would say too. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Damn. Well said. Um, very poignant there. Um elaborate if you don't mind on, on Crowley just a little bit. Like he's probably the most famous slash infamous member of the Golden Dawn. And he often for better and usually worse seems to um people's opinions of personal opinions of Crowley seem to therefore write their opinions of the Golden Dawn. You know what I mean? He's kind of the poster oh, yeah. boy. And that's that's a real disservice to hermeticism and the golden dawn. Yeah. Even if you go to like stores and modern day and like magic.com has a, this whole store because everybody's into it now. Right. And you <laughs> go and look at the magic side, it'll say magic TRG Crowley that on the same section. So he's put his stamp on all ceremonial magicians. Right. Uh -huh. And that's what his goal was to do was to kind of like, be this kind of like hyper sigil beast type life mm -hmm. when anybody thought about magic they would think of it in a dark and ominous nature and alistair crowley's face would pop up you know and so he succeeded in that but this is why the golden dawn in the beginning had um uh secrets or they had oaths right because they know what this does to a person when you start unlocking all of this stuff and you see like uh, just how powerful you are as a person inside of consciousness, right? You can't look at it like, um, and this is what happens. I'm the magician, right? Like I'm the, I'm the magus, I'm the magician. I'm all powerful. They get into that. They get <laughs> yeah. into that really kind of Dungeons and Dragons kind of view of it, which is, it's cool to see yourself that way and really understand you are a child of the divine and you have more power than what you thought you did, right? That's cool. But to really just put that ego image on there and brand it with a like a hyper sigil of this great beast and all this stuff, it pissed off a lot of Golden Dawn members, right? Yeah. It impressed some of them, pissed them off. It caused all kinds of strife in the order. And then they went into this big like political thing, you know, where they all broke up and went into their own ways. And it's and it's just like, you know, there's always a bad egg in every group, you know, like that'll do some shit like that. Yeah, and if you read any of the accounts of Crowley in the Golden Dawn, he was he was the bad egg. He was the guy who yeah. was 
He was never satisfied. He was always complaining. Um, and he wasn't usually ever complaining for any valid reasons. He was basically complaining about things that were as important as Oscar Wilde getting more attention than he did. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I also think that he started feeling as he became an adept, once he got past learning the, the magic of the elements, which is the, it entices everybody. But once you get into like the second phase or the adept phase or, you know, the operation, I would say, or the alchemical operations of the sun, it starts to really feel just like we talked about early, like Christianity, even though it doesn't, you know, it's not Christianity, but it starts to feel like that. And I bet you money he got that that dogmatic Christian feeling because of the stages in Christianity that kind of are hidden that correspond with this, too. And he probably is like, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't want to talk about love and God and or being the son of God or mm -hmm. just astral traveling all the time and meditating. Like, I want to let's let's get down into this stuff. So when you get into like his teachings, especially the AA, which is his kind of corresponded teachings to the Golden Dawn. A lot of people think the OTO is no, the OTO is the OTO. But he did come up with a system called the AA which is where he took what he learned from the Golden Dawn, brought in a lot of Eastern mysticism, pounded it with some heavy, like, sex magic, and um, <laughs> uh, uh, I would say Goetia, because you he has you jump right into that fast, you know, mm -hmm. where you're invoking demons and stuff. So this is why people loved his system, because it wasn't as structured and dogmatic as the Golden Dawn, and they got to really explore all of this stuff, you know, once you got into it. Yeah. Um, and you and I have a, a similar, a pretty much the same uh, basic opinion on Crowley, where we're both impressed with his uh, magical adeptness. Like he was clearly very intelligent and he was someone that knew what he was doing. And the things that he set out to do, like you said, the sort of hyper sigil whole element, uh, masterful. Uh, but then there were other things like he essentially ended his life um, or when his life ended, he was just sort of impoverished and destitute. Oh yeah. He lost um, all his money. He lost, all he his lost everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, and, and that like, just real quick, I would say like, if you want to throw out the Bible, read the prophetic books of the Bible of like Daniel and all this stuff, when they're telling these Kings, uh, as dream interpreters and stuff, Hey, the good Lord giveth and taketh away. So if you want to look at that from a hermetic point of view, Hey, the all mind will also set you on your ass you know if no you're doubt. not careful that, yeah. if that makes sense yeah um and i think um you know it's just as simple as well one one solid way to look at it is like you know the brighter star burns out faster and crowley tried to he i mean he made it longer than you would think for that sort of ridiculous lifestyle he had but the thing that gets me with crowley is i mean he was a jackass for one he had a very loose moral compass he was basically um like very a, loose that's an understatement yeah. no no kidding i was just about to say he's basically the dennis reynolds of magical philosophy dennis being the character from always sunny in philadelphia um yeah. you know the psychopathic one most people gotta know that reference but he's the one that's always controlling the group and he might may or may not be a serial killer um the the biggest joke is that he is insufferable and everyone outside of you know, the gang of it's always sunny hates him and thinks he's a moron. And uh, I mean, it, that was, that was a lot of um, Crowley's, you know, he was able to impress 
people because he made uh he did sensationalist stuff that got headlines but everyone who knew him hardly took him seriously and i think everyone sort of had the same opinion for the most part unless he kind of hooked them in their spell or in his spell it was that he did have adeptness that's that's how he got to hang in these circles people were interested in what he had going on but once they got into the core of crowley they were like oh my god this guy is sad and pathetic like this is what happened to most people actually yeah yeah this is just gross energy crowley's just a douchebag and what it boils down to is he was a spoiled trust fund brat you know he was he was born into a rich family he never had to work a day in his life so he just used a bunch of money to travel all around the world in the name of the, uh, you know, the dark Lord and fuck. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it, dude. You said it pretty simply, man. That's, that's yeah. And pissed all over her, in my opinion, uh, the beauty and the romanticism. And I would even say the moral loving aspect of all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I totally understand because, you know, you and I have both done it as well. Like the, I, you know, just simply wanting to read Crowley and see what it's all about. And, you know, there's, there's useful food for thought in there, uh, but you have to take it with plenty of salt and the people who just espouse Crowley, like he was some sort of like Tony Robbins or something, you know? <laughs> um, and they're just like, he did no wrong. He was this great guy. Like, I don't understand if they're just, uh, um, really apologetic for him or if they just have chosen to gloss over uh, the basic history but they're missing well, some crucial details i also don't think that the oto or the aa teachings are totally um i don't think those teachings even are crowley right because i know uh for one the oto was already in existence and they already understood at least the sexual forces before Crowley came around, right? That's why they were so impressed with him because he took what he'd learned and told him, well, I already know the secret to all this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, even the, the teachings of the AA, I think it had a good influence on a lot of people, but also a bad. So in my experience with like the OTO, there are just these great, awesome magicians that, that I've met, like, you know, Lon Milo Duquette and other people that are, that are just teaching awesome magic. Lon Duquette, but, that's a name I haven't heard in a minute. That's an, that's yeah. an interesting guy. I've, yeah, I've appreciated I mean, he, the material I've seen about him or on him yeah, that he's done. It's good stuff, right? But, uh, but he'll kind of take a laughing approach to Crowley and, and he looks at it like a big joke because right. I, you can tell that even him, he doesn't relate the teachings to the man as much as everybody else does, you know, even though he gives his respect to the guy. Uh, but then I've also went to other, like a few times in my life, I went to these OTO meetings and I got to tell you, man, people weren't there, no matter how much they talked about it at the end of the day, their ultimate agenda, uh, was to have sex, right? It wasn't, it wasn't, it's cause I can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend <laughs> or whatever, you know? And it's kind of weird, right? When you go to these things and they tell you to get naked or do whatever. And then you're like, I, I don't want to do that. And they're like, well, you're just ashamed of yourself. And it's like, well, actually uh i'm very proud of the myself or the sacred side of myself but it's like some weird psychological thing it seems like you're just ashamed sounds like gaslighting it does right and if you think about it it's like well maybe i'm not 
And this would be like the guy that took a girl on in the date was like, yeah, sure. Take your clothes off. And I don't know. I'm nervous. Well, you're just ashamed. You know, I love yeah. you. And it's the same kind of like feeling I yeah. get. And I'm telling you guys, like, if you get that feeling, I'm not telling you that it's which one is which. Okay. Because there's monogamy and polyamory and their sacredness is looked at all kinds of different ways. But what I'm telling you is, is you need to listen to your own soul and self. I don't care how many people are around telling you what's what or what philosophy, because there's the pressure aspect of it too, you know, because this whole thing is about uh, to thyself be true. And if you're not, you're going to see what happens when you're not too, you know? Yeah. Well said. Um, so what is the, what's the state of affairs of the golden dawn today and organized hermeticism as we know it? I mean, it, honestly, since Israel Regardi, thank God Israel Regardi put out a lot of the teachings of the golden dawn and was kind of Crowley's apprentice for a while, but then realized kind of what we were talking about since that happened, the state of affairs of the golden dawn is, uh, in my opinion, and I don't know everything there's a, there's still these orders that are doing these same practices and teachings in Europe and in America. But there's always this argument of legitimate legitimacy and stuff going on too. And it's not as uh, prevalent or active that you would think, but I think that's because this is a hermetic path, right? So let's say if you go to Facebook and you want to do your research on this, you can look up David's Facebook group, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and other groups, and you'll see how many people are in these groups, right? It's a lot of damn people. Yeah. But they're not they're not making a lot of noise because people, once they get into this work, it becomes a very kind of like solo, quiet journey, you know? Absolutely. And uh, even though I would say like uh, witch talk and other things like that are um, big and stuff, but there's... Honestly, bro, there are people calling themselves orders of the golden dawn that aren't, they're actually just wit witchcraft or Wicca groups that are kind of using some of the teachings of the golden dawn, but then pushing it into their own thing. And that's what happened ever since it started. Like when you hear stuff about the watchtowers or the elements or even the, a lot of Wicca, modern Wicca groups got their teachings from this, the, this order of 1888, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is that's interesting food for thought there. Um, I and and that is another reason why I like hermeticism so much is because it it has had organization in a way that has imbued it with tradition, but not enough to where there's a hermetic church on every street corner. Sure, you know? yeah. and where we have where like churches are like McDonald's in America now. And it's just, yeah. it's just way overblown. And there's what, like 20,000 different Christian denominations or some bullshit. Um, and you, there's no, there's no backbone of Christianity. There's no individuality backbone. The entire thing is homogenized. That's one of the basic premises of the religion. It's sort of almost <laughs> which is weird because they're so against it generally ideologically, but it's almost this communist style mentality, just everything for the greater good, everything for mother Russia, you know, everything for the church. Um, yeah, or, yeah, um, yeah. especially for Catholics, it seems. And, um, oh. um, yeah, I've had I, on run-ins with that, having a Catholic girlfriend. So I know <laughs> what you're talking about, you know, yeah, but, but she's not really Catholic, but her family was brought up in that. So, Oh, I feel you. Know. you. There's a lot of, um, 
repressed shame and stuff from Catholics. Big it's time. really, yeah, like nuclear family style, traditional, uh, almost, I would even say Old Testament, like, I don't know. It just feels dogmatic, right? There's mm-hmm. a beauty in that dogma, I will say, uh, ritualistically. I'm not going to lie. You know, and I think that's what catches a lot of Catholics is hearts because we're right. naturally ritualistic. But the shame level is pretty high. I can yeah. tell you that. Yeah, I think if anything, if if anyone's interested in um, the, you know, the ritual and ceremony of something like as elaborate as Catholicism, um, I would just recommend, again, looking at it from a hermetic and or Gnostic sort of point of view, because I do think you can get value from that. But I think that the way the focal point from which um, Christianity and, uh, and uh, Catholicism especially operate from is not really the all mind. It, it's not like divinity anymore. It's and I'm not saying it's satanic, but it's demiurge. You know, it's yeah. it's base um, the most like uh, command and conquer mentality that you can have. Like that's the God that they're espousing. Um, unfortunately, yeah. it's the demiurge. And I, and I don't want people to start to you can be a hermetic philosopher or live a life of as a hermeticist without even getting into the brotherhoods. Right. So don't get it confused. I think people shouldn't get confused by learning hermeticism and, and living your life that way. A lot of people get pulled towards hermetic orders and brotherhoods, right? To, to better understand and learn things, you know, uh, the whole Rosicrucian tradition was spawned off of Hermeticism, right? So uh, I think it's important that everybody learns Hermeticism before they study Rosicrucianism, the Golden Dawn, Crowley, and all of this stuff. So they can mm-hmm. kind of see the stages, the flowering or the unfoldment, how it happened and trace it back. So you can see where things kind of branched off and did their own thing. And you don't have to let go of hermeticism. You see what I mean? Right. And to put a little bit of a a conceptual bow on it, because we talked about the mysteries uh, lately on this show, hermeticism is sort of an outpour of the mysteries. It was a component um, of the ancient mysteries. Uh, But, but her, uh, would you say that hermeticism in and of itself was all of the mysteries, Joe? Well, I would say it's the biggest school to explain the better part of most of the mysteries, right? Yeah. Because if, if you get into the weeds of uh, uh, the the magical Egyptian teachings, right? Mm-hmm. And you get into the weeds of all of the mysteries in that sense, and I'm talking Western Egyptian and on to the West and mm-hmm. Ptolemy and uh, Hellenistic stuff, right? It's those three things, right? It's astrology. It's alchemy and theurgy. And that all of them did that. You know, mm-hmm. All of them practiced that. Even in the Bible, all of these guys like Moses, Jesus, Joseph, they all came out of Egypt. Somehow. So they mm-hmm. go to Egypt, they come back, and all of a sudden they were liked or their life would change or something would happen. You know, yeah. and you have to pay attention to the parallels in this stuff. You know, uh, I would say, her, yes, in my opinion, Hermeticism explains a very vast majority of the mysteries of transcendence and spirituality as a whole, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. So who were, um, I don't know the, the, 
how many degrees away uh, from Crowley and Rigardi were you in your um, initiation? I remember you telling me this once. Well, I mean, um, so I never got to, to like, I've worked my way up to the portal grade. And what ended up happening is I did do like that push through the portal grade, which is, you know, you got neophyte and the elements. And I kind of did it on my own. And then you do the portal thing, which pretty much washes over the the microcosmic star, so to speak, to see if you're ready, you know, to move to the next phase. And uh, some things happened in my life that made me think I should go back and start over and slow down. And when I went back and got in, started over with the neophyte material again, I just saw the importance of taking my time, you know. So right now, that's what I'm doing is taking my time and trying to help people because I feel like um, my th- purpose at the moment is to help people get to that door and not just uh, magically, but in a vibratory sense, in a very hermetic vibratory sense. Because to me, if you start vibrating and get out of body, regardless if you did the rituals or not, like you, this is a great thing, you know. Because mm-hmm. you're going to start opening up a higher awareness inside you, you know. So, uh, and that's confusing to a lot of people that come my way because a lot of people have the agenda of, uh, like the chaos magic agenda of manifestation in mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And when they get to me, I'm more of a transcendence guy with the manifestation being secondary, you know, Agreed. Uh, because it happens. And it's like, oh man, I'm confused. Which one do I do? And it's like, well, maybe we just need to look talk about what you're talking about, you know, hermeticism as a whole, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and weren't you initiated by people who were initiated by Crowley, like in the, in the lineage and, and the lineage sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, so in the context. lineage sense, like the people that initiated me were initiated by, uh, Rigardi's people. Right. Mm-hmm. Regardi was initiated by Crowley and mm-hmm. Crowley was initiated by Mathers. And yeah. So okay. I'm like, here's, here's my thing. Okay. If you, I believe you can do self-initiation, but if you want like the real deal, uh, I don't think there's, I wouldn't send anybody to any other two orders in this United States, but David Griffin's order or Chick Cicero's order. Right. Like just, just because I think they're close. If you read their books too, you'll see that they're they're closer. Because then you'll get into these other Golden Dawn groups where they just really start simplifying things or adding things uh, to the teachings. And yeah, um, that is some good contextual bits for people, I think. And um, you know, uh, to to put a bow on top of all this, Joe, if you wouldn't mind, um, could you in in any like degree or you know, whatever rabbit hole you want to go down on this question um, to give people a picture of this in practice, especially in the modern day. What, and I've talked about this in other episodes you could check out. I can't remember the name, but, or the, the number, but it's magic mysticism and skepticism. So, and Joe knows some of my stories, um, you know, like dive manual and whatnot, like Joe, what do you use hermetic magic ceremony and ritual for? You know, you showed me the dagger, for instance. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I use that stuff to get back into alignment with uh, my purpose, right? Which and and just to w- awaken, right? So back in the day, like the other day, I put this in the Telegram group. You know, the sun was rising. 
the moon was uh, setting behind me in the west and the sun was rising in the east. And if I'd have been walking in the beach a long time ago, I would have been like, wow, that's kind of cool, you know. But I see it was so beautiful to me because I saw all of the hermetic, you know, kind of mysteries right there. The sun, the moon, the masculine, the feminine, the balancing of the poles and the energy and the vibration, the ebb and flow of the ocean, the tides moving back and forth from the moon's pool and all this stuff. I th it, it was a romantic idea to do a ritual at that time and get in line with that vibration, you see. And so on a daily basis, I do daily ritual to do that kind of stuff, whether to, whether it's to get in line with my vibration or to stay in line and like energetically or to grow hermetically and elementally too, you know, and that journey, uh, never, never stops. I don't know if that's what you're asking or not, but it's yeah. not like, it's not like I got, it would be cool if I had an alchemy lab in here, but it's not like I'm like, you know, doing the Greek magical papyri where it's like frog skin, <laughs> you know, cow tongue, uh, here's the blood of a virgin, the semen from a goat, and you know, I'm gonna bring all this. You know, like I'm gonna conjure this like thing, even though that's another part. That's a real part of magic, right? I don't, I don't see uh, hermetically the point in it at all. You know, right? Um, yeah, that's definitely um, the more historical superstitious elements that were uh, the origins of chemistry and and things as we know it, and. I, I completely agree. I think that's a beautiful and expansive definition of um, like, especially modern hermeticism. And my friend, Alex, our friend of the uh, natural born alchemist podcast um, would uh, at this point um, make the asterisks that physical alchemy is an important element and not in the sense of turning lead into gold, but um, and I don't think that it's entirely you don't have to be, uh, you know, involved in chemistry, but, you know, for my personal experience and Alex's as well, um, a lot of that alchemical process was in gardening and learning horticulture and different plants. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Paracelsus, you know, if you read all that, I mean, just, yeah, there's exactly. a lot of spagyric alchemy in there, too, you know, so. Hell yeah. So just finding and I think the core of that being find a passion that speaks to you like an organic passion, something that helps you engage with um, and like reciprocate sort of the, the, the great work, like the ebb and flow of life itself, like plants being a great example, art being one, um, even just like a skilled trade, someone that is deeply passionate about architecture, you know, these kinds of things that help you um bridge the gap between the inner and outer the microcosm and macrocosm um i think mm -hmm. that that's a key takeaway when someone's talking about physical alchemy uh today because back in the day people were interested um not exclusively but part of it was they were interested in trying to actually turn lead into gold and you know that's a whole different conversation where um i wasn't even prepared to talk about this but Maybe I'll add it in the show notes. You could definitely do some Google rabbit holes, but the idea of enough radiation um, changing the, uh, the, uh, the, the structure of certain molecules um, and like shifting things over on the atomic scale are some, uh, some ideas that scientists have still kicked around. So the idea of being able to turn some things into gold might still be on the table. Um, 
but you talking about like physically yeah like the yeah yeah uh well i mean there's a lot of people who say it's definitely a true thing you know but yeah yeah um so that's maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point but the point being that um all that that is an that is relevant especially when you consider the archetypal context that i just put it in but joe and i are particularly most fascinated with the transcendental um components yeah, yeah. and we are um uh, there, there was a, a tenet of Western alchemy, especially, and I, I think it's just kind of archetypal at large. It's very like initiatic in this sense. Oh yeah, of, dude. And it, it, you have to before you go about turning anything into quote unquote gold in the real world, you have to turn your psyche to gold. Yeah, you, know? you gotta. Well, you gotta. Yeah, so you gotta start pointing in that direction. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, some of your listeners will probably even dive deeper historically into this stuff and get into where it came from. You know, the Egyptian and Greek stuff, the cultures and the Alexandria and the Ptolemaic periods of all this stuff. Uh, it's amazing, but it has this thing has its roots all the way back to like Sumeria and Chaldea before it reached Europe and the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, Absolutely, and the then, Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah. And then when you read the stuff, you know, like the Pythagorean tradition stuff, and then you get into like the Orphic and Delphic and Eleusinian, you know, Eleusinian mysteries and Rome, you can, people get scared if you read that first, but I'm just saying, if you trace all of this stuff back and then go back through it again, and then read the Christian Bible and revelations, it all starts to like make sense as far as like the Western side of things go. And there's some unanswered questions. What is the white stone, the philosopher's stone, um, the love of this whole, uh, you know, transmutation? Uh, there, there's some still some big questions here. No matter high up, how high up the tree you go or who uh, you talk to in these orders, they all still have kind of different viewpoints of all this stuff. So it's good to, I, I think it's kind of good that it stays open and that we learn this stuff for ourselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so um, hermeticism is one of the things that I espouse the most, um, not exclusively. And I always tell people, be wary of falling for like hive mind mentality and cultish mentality, uh, because anyone, it's pretty much in the vein of the things you've been saying uh, in terms of accuracy and true lineage truly as long as someone's a good enough showman they can take anything and just say that they're a part of that and then start working with it for their own personal gain um so you have to be wary of all those things and uh, but so in that collective sense but i don't think that that should steer you away from considering different traditions i think traditions are good but i also think you know you have to gauge these things from your own personal experience you know, and like, oh, yeah. you know, what's in that chaos magic sense, like what makes what is going to engage you the most? Because there's there's a variety of different uh, symbols that will convey one archetype and they'll all be slightly variant, but they'll get you to the same end. And one might sort of be the circuit that your brain needs to complete. Um, yeah, you I know? think I think chaos magicians are doing great things into not into keeping this. It's like, I don't want to lose the tradition of where all this stuff came from. Uh, you know, we should never lose that. And I don't want to get in a polar battle either where, oh, this is all unnecessary and chaos magic is necessary. 
the way I look at it is, is like the tradition is so awesome and important, but chaos magic is doing a lot of good things by understanding things in a more modern way. Like mm -hmm. if you listen to Grant Morrison and some of the comic book writers, or even read some of the first chaos magicians books or like get into Gordon White stuff, or just pick up the comic book, the invisibles. If that doesn't no entice you, like what, <laughs> what won't, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I think they're both good things actually, you know? absolutely yeah and they don't have to be opposed they can they can work in tandem um yeah and and so yeah i think that um um the i that again just to kind of cherry on top of it all that's why i like hermeticism so much i wouldn't call myself i don't call myself anything but as i've said before the things i'm most influenced by are like hermeticism buddhism and i was raised around christianity so i still have that uh, floating around in my brain. And as I said, I, I certainly appreciate that, but from the more hermetic Gnostic points of view. And, um, and so, yeah, it, with that in mind, um, I do recommend that people go down the rabbit hole, but I have to make disclaimers because I shit on um, other things. I, I have to be clear. I do that, that all the time. Yeah. I, I bet. And, and I yeah. don't want to proselytize because that's one thing I'm against. So this is not any sort of uh, uh hermetic proselytizing nothing like that and i would stress that if anything this is more of a philosophy a spiritual philosophy than it is a religion and that that shows in the organization that it has today which is a lot looser than uh the abrahamic religions but um yeah sure. so um and, and 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 i think that that's the biggest stranglehold on religion in general i think more so than even the ideology um because those things can be updated over time. It's the the group, the hive mind mentality. Once things reach a certain tipping point, um, they just sort of it becomes this uh, this snowball effect, this this rock rolling downhill that you can't stop. And I think that's creepy. I don't like that, you know, because that's how you get holy wars and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. uh, Joe, any closing comments for the people out there? Yeah, well, I mean, just uh, I'm kind of working with people at my website at joeroop.com, you know, uh, as far as the members go, like we're exploring this together, the astral travel side and the magic side of this as like a two in one type thing. So if you want to come check it out, do that. But other than that, no, I would just say to study, you know, what we talked about in the beginning, right, which is the Corpus Hermeticum and like. Uh, the Kabbalion and the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. And if it speaks to you, it speaks to you. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I got a good feeling it will, though. Amen, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, it's always, it, it's it's as fun as it is enlightening hanging out and talking with you. So I appreciate Thanks that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget to check out Lighting the Void as well. And Joe, we'll, uh, we'll have you on again before too long. I look forward to it. All right, brother. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming. Uh, this is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler. Check out divemind.net. Manual Dive Manual. We'll see you all next time.